Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. You're now tuned to Future Sense with myself, Nick Jeans, and my co-host, Steve McDonald. Welcome back, Steve. You weren't here last week, but here you are. Good morning, Nick. It's lovely to be back again. I was busy in Melbourne last you week. You were. Last showing of uh, the From Shock to Awe film, which we've talked about quite a lot, folks, and many of you have seen it or know about it. That's right. And we had got a, a wonderful response all around the country from mm. audiences at uh, From Shock to Awe. And I think it's going to have a big impact, this movie. It's being released publicly on the web on the 22nd of October, so you'll be able yes. to find it on iTunes and I think Amazon and perhaps some other platforms as well. Mm, fantastic. And on today's show, what are we talking about, Mr. McDonald? Today, we are talking about challenges ahead. So mm. we're going to look out across the next decade or so. And based on what we know now about the changing patterns of human consciousness, where our values are at the moment and what our values are shifting to, and also evidence from the real world right Mm. now around early stage changes Mm. across the spectrum, including environmental changes and behavioral changes and those sorts of things. And I guess uh, the big message is that there's some very, very large challenges coming down the track and we really need to start thinking about them and planning for them and preparing for them now uh, in order to ride out this enormous wave wave of change Mm. uh, that's coming. Yes. And as we know in the world, pretty much there's a a general sense, I guess, of what I've quoted a number of times with the acronym VUCA, V-U-C-A, vulnerability, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That's a that's a foursome which is pretty hard to cope with, but it pretty much describes the way that I think probably most people in the world are to one degree or other feeling in particular realms or spheres of their of their personal existence, of their worldviews. That's right. We have entered into a major transformational change process, mm. and that applies both at a personal level and at a global level. All right, so let's have a, a talk about what might happen over the next 10 years. And this is not pure speculation. We're working on research-based understandings of how human consciousness is shifting. And uh, what it's pointing to at the moment is that we are in a change of our dominant global paradigm. So we have been living for the past 300 years or so under a a paradigm based around the scientific, industrial, you might even say corporate, militaristic way of being human, which is an individually oriented operating system. And uh, sometimes we call the individual systems I, me, mine, just based around that Beatles song. As in the Beatles song, yeah, which we have played. (laughs) And uh, alternatively, (laughs) we shift from those kind of paradigms to paradigms that are themed around community, which we often call we, us, our. So at a global level, what we're seeing is that the dominant paradigm is shifting from I, me, mine to we, us, our, which is from the modern scientific industrial to a what you might call postmodern simply because it is coming after the modern mm. era uh, relativistic community centered way of being human which is very much about deep human connection it's very network centric and highly influenced by our 
connective technology, which has come out in the modern paradigm. And the way that these things play out is that each paradigm solves the problems of the previous paradigm when it first emerges, then it comes to full blossoming, and then in the latter stages, it starts to create so much complexity that it actually kind of undercuts itself and makes space for the next paradigm to to emerge at a more complex level. So while on one hand uh, a paradigm solves the problems of the previous paradigm of human consciousness and evolution, oeuvre of human endeavour on the planet, uh, at the later stages of each paradigm it starts to produce a whole new raft of problems even though it solved previous problems and those problems that are created in the new paradigm become very difficult to solve within that same thinking and way that has created the problems. Yeah, and I, I guess if you wanted to, to think about that in a really simple way, this is kind of mm. like the engine driving the evolutionary process. So if you believe in evolution and the fact that we're moving from less complex existence to a more complex existence in all respects, then there needs to be some kind of uh, impetus to create that movement. And this mm. impetus comes from this pulsing uh, change process, which at certain times creates tension and the tension provides the potential for movement it's Mm. like pulling back the elastic band on a slingshot and then at certain points that tension is released Mm. and gives us the the momentum to move into a different way of being human Mm. and then the whole process repeats Mm. it's interesting with tension because of course our natural tendency as human beings i guess is to resolve tension whereas in some ways you kind of need to sit with the tension for long enough until um, that the propulsion actually occurs naturally, I guess. Yeah, it depends uh, on the context mm. within you which you think about tension. I mean, I guess tension, you know, often people relate that to, to feeling tense, I guess, yeah. I guess, which is an uncomfortable thing. But if you think about times when you've been bored and had nothing to do, where there's absolutely no tension whatsoever, that can be equally as annoying. <laughs> Well, that becomes a tension in itself. That, that, I have no tension. That's right. So, you know, so uh, everything, everything has a place yeah. and a time. Mm. So what you're talking about here is, a, is, a, is developmental psychology, essentially, isn't it? Is yeah, yeah. So uh, developmental psychology emerged roughly about a century ago, mm. this idea based on research that human values and worldviews can change, and they do change. Mm. And even though this is about a century old, it really is in a similar category to quantum mechanics where it's still considered an outlier in terms of the mainstream understanding of of human psychology and human nature. If you hear, uh, if you listen to um, the mainstream media, you know, and and movies and, and really most dialogue within society, people talk about humans as if there is one human nature. Yeah. And humans do this, humans do that, yeah. and that's human nature. And history nature. repeats itself. We still do the same old thing we've done for thousands of years. Exactly. Mm. Uh, and in the same way that quantum mechanics is kind of like uh, too much of a, a brain stretch for most people to get their head around at the moment, so is developmental psychology. So even, you know, when I talk to many psychologists and ask them about their training and did they study developmental psychology, most of them say to me, oh yeah, I think we touched on that somewhere, Uh, but they're not actually including that in their day-to-day work. You know, they're not considering, okay, is this person going through a worldview shift and whereabouts on the spectrum, what are they shifting from to, and considering those sorts of things. We still um, treat human psychology as if if it's one thing rather than a a staged uh, arrangement of layers you know that we that we move through and and both backwards and forwards i might say you know it's a yes. dynamic process it's driven by the complexity of our life conditions so 
human nature and, and the human psyche is highly adaptive and it tends to seek to fit with its surroundings and fit with the people that it's you know immersed uh, mm. in yeah. in groups for example in in society and uh and even even for those people who have uh, you know, a deep understanding of developmental psychology, uh, you know, you still feel this pull to conform, this pull to adapt if you find yourself in a different set of life conditions. And, uh, and it, it is, you know, it's a natural and uh, for most people a mostly unconscious process that we change our worldviews, we change our values to fit with whatever's going on around us. And this is a, a survival instinct, of course. It's yes. part of our, our own evolutionary process. It's what allows us to cope with change. Just on worldviews, I have a little piece here from a website called Thinking with David. It's a young man called David Smart who's a bit of a theorist in this area, and he talks about worldviews here. Your worldview is biological, psychological, and sociological. As you go about life, you come into contact with various bits of information from your environment, family, friends, society, which then coalesce to form an overarching worldview. Worldviews act like magnets. They attract bits of information in alignment with our existing worldview and repel the bits that aren't. This is why worldviews once solidified are quite difficult to change. Organisms take great care in crafting a stable worldview which becomes part of their identity and will go to great lengths to protect homeostasis. Any disrupting forces to a static worldview are either ignored, shunned or demonized. It's common for the host to label these incongruent memes as evil, harmful, dangerous, silly, repulsive or disgusting. It's only when this organism reaches a transformational dilemma that it might consider change and open up to these worldviews. That's pretty strong and pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, that's quite valuable. And, of mm. course, that applies to uh, the first tier of human consciousness, according to Claire Graves' model. The first six layers of consciousness all exhibit that kind of behavior where when we're in a dominant worldview, then we tend to naturally reject anything other than that, mm. any any other way of seeing the world, and, and usually regard it as wrong. Mm. Yeah. And it's very understandable, that's what we're saying, it's very understandable that one does that from whatever worldview that you have, that you resist change up to a certain point until life conditions shift yeah. in some way or other, and that could, that could be in any sort of way, actually. That's right, until that worldview no longer works. Mm. And, of mm. course, there's a good reason for us wanting to reject different worldview, worldviews if our current one is working for us, yeah. right? Uh, yes. That only makes sense. So we might take a break, and then I'll come back and just talk about some historical examples of changing values and worldviews just to put a bit more context around this. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. We're talking today about uh, some of the challenges, the paradigm shift challenges that are upon us here on this planet as we speak in this era and this time. Yeah, some of the things which are showing up on the radar, and this is certainly not a, an exhaustive list, but clearly our social systems, which were designed during the last era, are starting to fail. And I think everybody can see that. Probably the, one of the most prominent examples is uh, politics. And remembering that the idea of a, of a nation really emerged with the scientific industrial era. Prior to that, we had kingdoms. Mm. Mm. Uh, and uh, nation states brought uh, democracy uh, for like free market democracy, which we have now, and it's becoming really clear that that particular institution and, and all of the associated social systems like our economic system, our health systems, those sorts of things, really aren't coping with the extra complexity that we're facing right yeah. now. 
uh, and uh, this, there's been a, a funny um, satirical article going around on social media over the last week or so saying that circuses are really having trouble finding clowns to recruit at the moment <laughs> because they're all going into politics. Uh, I like it. Uh, <laughs> you had to get that in, didn't you? Yeah, I did, I did. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the, the scientific industrial era itself has uh, brought quite a toll on our natural environment, mm. it, its tendency to uh, use and exploit resources without thinking about the long-term impact of that kind of behaviour, of course, has created a big mess. It, it's uh, mass production of stuff, invention of plastic and those mm. sorts of things mm. is, of course, creating enormous uh, ecological pressures, mm. polluting the oceans, uh, getting into our our actual systems, you know, microplastic and all that kind of stuff, uh, creating health issues, the use of uh, chemicals to uh, for large-scale cropping and those yeah. sorts of things, which, again, are getting into the natural systems, disrupting the ecology of the planet, mm. uh, including us. And, mm, very and, much uh, in the oceans, too. I was just talking to uh, well-known Richard Jones uh, yesterday, Sunday. Was it Sunday yesterday? Yeah. Uh, Saturday about uh, about the oceans and uh, yeah the, the runoff of course from agricultural chemicals is one of the serious pollutants in the oceans that that we know about and still haven't done enough about too and as you said it's a com- it's so many complex things that impact the, the general environment everywhere now yeah exactly and, and that's one part of it and things that we we know uh, to some extent which are coming down the track mm. like for example climate change yeah. and it's it's clear that our climate isn't the same as it used to be the cycles are changing. Mm. Uh, there is, uh, I guess, a, a growing sense of alarm that we are running out of time uh, to address our influence on climate, obviously. And we had, of course, the, the uh, well-publicised climate action mm. strike last week. Uh, we're looking at all sorts of impacts from climate change over the next 10 years, including both food and water shortages. Mm. Water's um, obviously, we're here in this beautiful region where we have so much water. Nevertheless, we're also in a a stage where we're all aware that we're not getting enough rain right now. And we're pretty lucky here. That's right. And uh, as you say, these things are compounding. Mm. And so the combined effect of changes in in various areas uh, is leading to things like population migration. Mm. Uh, and and a part of that, a big part of that, over the last I guess couple of decades, has been driven by conflict, particularly in Europe, where you've had uh, so much conflict in the Middle East, mm. and people for various reasons choosing to up stakes and move mm. and try and you know. Find well, you had Germany you were taking I think one million refugees a couple of years ago, and that's backfired a little bit on them. It's maybe just a bit too much for their infrastructure to cope with them, particularly their cultural infrastructure, because it's a very challenging when a whole raft of people come in from a completely different ideology and culture a different worldview as we're talking about and impact another country that's a strong thing you have to be prepared for that absolutely you do and uh, one of the main challenges there is just coping with different value sets and and I might come back to that Mm. discussion in a moment just to talk about how our values have changed historically when we look back about at uh, previous paradigms Um, but uh, just to to finish this short list um, disruptive technology of course as as well so and Perhaps that's the most obvious example of the old paradigm creating something that actually disrupts itself, <laughs> uh, is uh, new technologies which are threatening to collapse our manufacturing industry, for mm. example, with the uh, emergence of robotics and things like uh, 3D printing, which can happen locally. 
all of the structures that we built during the modern paradigm around manufacturing and supply are now threatened mm. by the same paradigm. Which means inventions, jobs, and um, you know old uh, structures of the business, the uh, the industries that you and your family were in, in, in small towns across across the uh, the democratic so-called democratic world, all the countries in our world. Many places, uh, many small towns, and even larger cities, particularly in the U.S., under huge uh, pressure from the loss of jobs from disruptive technology, among other things. But certainly that. That's right, and and hand in hand with that goes disruption to supply chains. Yeah. So all of those those transport chains, which at the moment carry stuff all over the world, uh, in you know to to a ridiculous extent, really, when you think about it. Uh, all of those things are now facing collapse due to disruptive technology. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and of course, really, none of this is inherently good or bad. You really have to look at each individual context to figure out, okay, you know, what is this actually doing for these people in, in this particular location? Mm. Uh, a lot of the te- this technology is, is going to have uh, wonderful outcomes into the future, but the period of change is really what we need to be focused on now and, and trying to manage this change so that it causes a minimum amount of disruption. You know, it's going to be disruptive, there's no doubt about that, but there is the opportunity for us to look at and anticipate the kind of changes which are about to occur on a global scale mm. and to manage that as best we can so that uh, as few people as possible are, are disadvantaged. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the old, uh, that this this paradigm that is, uh, as we're suggesting, is passing away, which has been in existence certainly since, well, since the Industrial Revolution, if not uh, a bit earlier, um, the, that uh, the scientific industrial revolution that brought us all this technology. And also, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about uh, colonialism, of course, uh, once we started to circumnavigate the globe, and I think 500 years just went by with... Uh, with the original uh, Portuguese um, circumnavigating the world back then, which to me was the very beginning of that notion of global, global commerce, global identity, yes. and these kind of things. And as that has occurred, and the the, the colonising powers that we know, of course, the, the English in particular, but also the Spanish, the Portuguese, and so on and so on, uh, went around the world and uh, and raped and pillaged their way to great success. And that was part of the paradigm of the time. And in a way, uh, it looks like they're still doing the same thing in a much more sophisticated way now, but it's very obvious to most people that that's happening, that people's resources, people's livelihoods, uh, refugees uh, forced to be refugees by forces beyond their control of, of other of stronger powers out there. All of that is now becoming quite obvious, but it's, it's, a lo- it's been a long story, a long narrative, hasn't it, for the last few hundred years of that evolution on the planet of of a global economy, of a global way of doing things, which has actually only benefited now a handful of people, really. Well, that's where it's going to. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to look back over not just the last paradigm shift, but the, the couple before that, and just mm. look at how our underlying framework for making sense of reality has shifted each time, and that has given rise to new values and, and new worldviews, effectively new ways of being human. Mm. Uh, and uh, of course, we've been immersed in that process like a fishing water, really, without any visibility of the process itself. And it's only now where a certain percentage of humanity is starting to shift into second tier consciousness that we have the capacity to actually see the process itself mm. and therefore to to make decisions and plans and take action around managing our experience of the process whereas previously it was just kind of like we were we were uh, in a fast-flowing river and just getting 
tumbled by you know the river as it fell over waterfalls and yeah. and uh, swirled around rocks and those sorts of things and really with no choice but to go with the with yes. that particular flow and now we have the opportunity to see the flow patterns and uh, and actually uh, craft a very very different experience yeah. for ourselves but looking back at the at the last few major transformational changes in human nature uh, we went from living life as if it's a battle and you've got to fight others to survive, uh, which uh, in, in Graves' model he, he said was the third stage of human existence, which he, he named egocentric. It was an I-me-mind system. And, of course, where, as that played out, it, we eventually got to the point of needing, we need to be saved from that. We, 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 were, we were kind of like, you know, we couldn't live life anymore. Um, following that particular worldview, we needed to be saved from it. And so we looked for some higher authority that could give us guidance and yeah. a, a list of, of rules to follow yeah. to, to live a more ordered life. Like, yeah. And so that shift there was was uh, the shift between that egocentric into the, the authoritarian uh, agricultural era yeah. but where, where uh, everything became much more structured. Yeah, and authoritarianism, but nevertheless a communal authoritarianism. So people came underneath the, uh, as you said, the precepts, well, the commandments, the, authority was, the yeah. priest or, or, or the... Um, you know, or the the, the lord of the manor who controlled the, the, the expanding agricultural estates. That's right. There, there was always some higher authority that provided that structure. Mm. And so that, that there really represents a complete shift in our framework for making sense of our reality. And that gives rise to a new set of values, mm. a new way of seeing the world. And then, of course, that agricultural era turned into the, the scientific industrial era. And uh, we went from following the guidance of a higher authority to feeling like we actually had the power to discover our own truth, to make our own rules, and through a process of observation and experimentation to discover the truth in the world. And that, of course, gave rise to the scientific method uh, and uh, brought this desire, um, or perhaps it was driven by this desire to want to change the external world to suit ourselves rather than having to, to sit inside this authority structure. Yes. And, um, and that now where has brought us to this next transition phase and and one of the most common i, I guess irritations or tensions at the end of the scientific industrial era is a feeling of loneliness and burnout like we've worked so damn hard in this rat race to try and be successful and uh, for most of us that hasn't worked you know we, we think of the the one percent the 99 percent yes it had that uh, process it had that, that effect of uh, separating us into the small number of people who were highly successful and made a lot of money and the rest mm. uh, and now you know we've had enough of that and the tension is built and built and built and now this pressure is starting to express itself through calls for change and through the shifting of, of people's underlying framework for making sense of how life is and how life should be mm. yes it's, it's great uh, i think you when you were talking just then uh, an example that's come with the news the other just in the last couple of days is the 22 million dollars that went to the executive of who was the executive um, general motors general motors yeah. of course yes gm she she took 22 million dollars while uh, eliminating 15,000 jobs or something. That's right. Yeah, this is, yeah. This is a really good example of late stage uh, five, layer five in this. Uh in this, um, yeah, I think uh, I just forget the exact figure, but I think it said it was that twenty-two million dollars was something like seven hundred and ninety times the average wage. Um, yeah, and that disparity—I mean, all of us just—you know—we're all on this now. We all, we all hate this too much, as you said. Ninety-nine percent of us do not have that sort of income by any stretch of the imagination. That small percentage do. So, it's just showing that the paradigm doesn't work anymore. 
and we need a That's new right. structure. That's yeah. right, and, and this is part of a natural evolutionary progression mm. whereby the complexity slowly ramps up as we move through these paradigms, and it's that shifting complexity which creates extra more complex challenges for us that motivates us uh, initially to feel like something's not right and we're uncomfortable mm. and we, something something needs to change, but we're not sure what that might be at the early stages of the change process. Uh, and a, a very, very clear message that the old values don't work anymore. You know, th these values are not suitable to live by anymore and we need to find new values. Mm. And the, the difficulty in the transition process is that we, we inevitably move from that place of being comfortable in the old values to feeling like, okay, this is really not working anymore, but we don't know what the next mm. step is typically. Mm. So we haven't got those new values yet where we're searching for them. We feel the natural draw to move back into community from the individual uh, era that we've just been through. And you can see that happening now. I think um, perhaps the, the climate issue, the climate change issue is the, the strongest example of that uh, pull towards community where people are banding together and saying, you know, something needs to change. Um, and you can even see, if you look at the kind of protests that are going on around the world with uh, the climate change movement at the moment, Extinction Rebellion being mm. one of the sort of notable yep. uh, formal groups around that, is that um, there's a lot of uh, protest and a lot of expression of unhappiness and the desire for change, but really not much is going on around uh, clear guidelines or clear action for change at this point. It's, it's an expression of discomfort of the perceived need for change. Uh, so well, the, yeah, I mean, Extinction Rebellion do have, I think there's four, I don't have them in front of me, but four precepts which are political statements, they're policy statements. I mean, the end, end of coal and uh, this and that, I can't remember the four of them. So they are, but they're very overarching, very big goals, and they're good goals ultimately, but they're not actually saying clearly, easily, how we're going to get country by country, place by place, towards those goals. No, no, there's a disconnect between the, the, the idea and, and actual yeah. the, the, the mechanics of the outcome. Which is okay, because yeah. of course that's initially how things happen. It, it's normal, it's mm. normal for this stage in the pro mm. pro uh, change process, absolutely, mm. it, it always happens that way, regardless of which you know, mm. transformation you want to look at yes. back throughout history, uh, for sure. And so we're now moving into a, another we, us, our communal-based uh, way of being human, and uh, it's centered around deep human connection, this desire for deep human connection. Uh, it seeks to dissolve the boundaries that we've made, that have made us feel separate uh, from each other in the past, like race, like nationality and religion and those sorts of things. Yeah. And of course, seeks to address the problems that have been created by the previous era, which is most exhibited by the, the climate movement at the moment. Mm, yes. And just on, uh, before we take a break, a paradigm shift, interesting, just so for those who don't know, because I didn't actually know where the term came from. It's a fairly, really, relatively recent term. It was a concept identified by the American physicist and philosopher Thomas Kuhn. Uh, about the fundamental change in the basic concepts and experimental practices of a scientific discipline. Uh, Kuhn presented his notion of a paradigm shift in his influential book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, 1962. Uh, he contrasts, or even though Kuhn restricted the use of the term to natural sciences, the concept of a paradigm shift has also been used in numerous non-scientific contexts to describe a profound change in a fundamental model or perception of events in a worldview, essentially. And there's a process that occurs, as we're talking about here, for that to for that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, again, as I was saying earlier on, 
it's interesting just to reflect on uh, where we're at in terms of even understanding about changing worldviews. It's still early stages for most of humanity uh, to even come to grips with this fact that our values and our worldviews views do change in response to environmental changes. Yeah, yeah. indeed. You're on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans here on BFM 99.9. It's 9.53. Eclectic. Eccentric. Electric. Inventive. Byron Shire and Bay FM 99.9. Just gone, uh, just gone uh, 10 o'clock here on BFM on Future Sense with myself, Nick Jeans, and Steve McDonald over on the other side there. And don't be alarmed uh, by Nick saying that I'm on the other side. I'm actually on the same team. I just sit on the other side of the desk here in the studio. That's all it is. <laughs> uh, by the way, before we move on to thanks for your text, we have a couple of texts in one. Just mentions we may not uh, talk about this right now, but although funnily enough, as you sent this text in, we were talking about this very thing as happens. Uh, and uh, you say, uh, Amen, Steve. So happy to hear your big picture articulation again. What's your view on the dong, on the disco dong controversy? And he says, I say, our lighthouse lingam, much better, um, <laughs> shined a light upon our cultural unconsciousness as yet still not seen and spoken of. Yeah. Yeah, for those, who might, for those who might be listening to the podcast <laughs> later, this is a, a local scandal here in Byron Bay, uh, based around a, a piece of art which was erected by our local council. Erected. Uh, exactly. And uh, it was a big metal lighthouse structure mm. made out of tiny, tiny birds to make the shape of the lighthouse. 6,000 uh, of them. A lovely idea, uh, mm. but there wasn't really sufficient community consultation. And if you live in this area, you know, Byron Bay is a very earthy, kind of eco-conscious area. And so if you were going to build a piece of art here, you might choose to build it, you know, out of, out of wood or stone or something like that, but probably yeah. not metal. Well, it was actually uh, aluminium, wasn't it metal? I mean, I don't know if you class aluminium exactly as a metal. I think, but a, I think it is a metal, but it, yes. Yeah, it probably is, but it's a, not a particularly great uh, environmental substance itself. No, and it, there was, you know, there was something uh, elemental about that yeah. that just didn't fit, you know, and I, 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 meant, to, I meant that pun. Mm. Um, and, of course, it... Uh, created a big values clash here locally uh, and I, I think you know there was um, certainly a, a very righteous community movement saying that this doesn't mm. really fit here mm. and, and, and in many senses it didn't really fit uh, and the, the, the biggest um, concern I have about the whole process is for the artist yeah. himself I mean you know if you put yourself in the shoes of that artist who's who's bid for a, a contract, you know, to, to win this mm. grant, to build this thing, uh, mm. which he clearly designed specifically for Byron Bay, yeah. uh, and then to uh, have it put up and have it rejected by the local community must have been mm. a very, very difficult process. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I can only feel uh, compassion for that Absolutely. person's experience. And, and even to the point where um, at, at I understand that there was abuse, you know, yeah. shouted at him as he was putting it up, yeah. know, which is really, really sad. Yeah. Well, it's gone now because the, those who uh, who lobbied to have it taken down have succeeded, so it is gone, and probably it's a good thing that it's gone. I didn't love it, but I also read, as as with you, I really felt for the artist, and I, you know, art is a dangerous area always because you're not going to, no one's ever going to like every piece of art. There's always going to be contestation around art. That's part of the, the purpose and process of art, in fact. However, you know, anyway, there's a lot of a lot of things here, uh, but the disco dong, the lighthouse lingam, if you will, has gone now, and um, yeah, so you go. I don't know if anything else is going to go there. Probably just some green stuff would be good. A big nice tree could be good, like a big fig tree or something like that. Mm, yeah, fig tree. I mm. think I, I can see that for sure. Well, an olive tree for an olive branch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So um, just to, to wind up this particular part of the show on challenges ahead, uh, I want to point out that the emerging paradigm, layer six in, in Grager's model, this relativistic, humanistic, network-centric way of being human, which seeks deep connection, is a change self system. Okay, It's not a change of the world system. So as we move through the paradigms, whether we're growing as individuals or growing as a species, we move from a focus on individuality and a focus on community. When we're focused on our individual needs, then we're looking to change the world to fit with our needs. When we're focused on community, we're looking to change ourselves to, f to adapt to what the world needs from us. Mm. And so layer six is an adaptation change self system. It's not a change the world system. It's speaking a lot about changing the world and calling for change, but it is by its nature not a system that will actually achieve that change. And that's something that we really need to understand. And if we look at the, the time frames of the emergence of human paradigms, those time frames are getting shorter and shorter and shorter, which means that each new paradigm is the shortest paradigm ever when it emerges. Mm. And we've gone from an agricultural era our paradigm that lasted thousands of years to a scientific industrial paradigm that lasted hundreds of years and so now we're looking at this humanistic paradigm that will last decades mm. and it could even be as short as one to two decades mm. we, you know we, we don't know exactly of course it's got to play out but, but we need to understand that this is really a transitional era it's a stepping stone which is taking us to a much larger shift mm. which of course is the shift from first tier consciousness into second tier consciousness and it's, it's it's great because as you're speaking i'm thinking well people listening to this might think that uh, that in some way there's something wrong with the, the emerging label no it's a layer that is creating the basis the network foundation for a, a, a greater leap for a greater evolution that is necessary to actually solve the really solve the world's challenges as we now sit. That's right. Everything it's doing is natural mm. and it's part of an evolutionary dynamic. It absolutely has to happen. Uh, and to just expand on some of the detail or, or the underlying purpose of layer six from, from mm. what we understand from the research mm. that's been done on human paradigms yeah. is uh, obviously it's on the receiving end of the mounting pressure globally uh, environmental damage in particular created by the scientific industrial era mm. so it's wearing all of those outcomes and looking to resolve the, the, the problems that have clearly emerged from the previous paradigm at a subconscious level it is preparing humanity for the second tier transition right? this is essentially the end of an entire chapter in human history mm. that's taking us on a quantum leap into something particularly different, which some people are even suggesting is the emergence of a new species of humanity. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm still keeping an open mind about yeah. that. Um, and you can see why with such a, a massive change coming that many people are thinking that this is the end times and people are thinking, okay, we're, you know, we're done, the species is going to yes. go extinct, the planet's going to die, those sorts of things. So you can see at a subconscious level the, the dynamic is there to, to bring those sorts of thoughts and, and, uh, and concepts. It's strongly motivated to heal, both healing ourselves and healing the planet. You can feel that. Yeah. In places like this area where we're speaking from, where layer six, you know, has been mm. in place quite strongly for quite some time, um, th that's very, very evident on a day-to-day -day basis. That this is strong motivation to heal, mm. and subconsciously, what it's doing is it's creating a solid platform for this leap into second tier. Okay, we cannot leap off a platform that's wobbly, so we have to stop and shore up ourselves as best we can in order to be able to make this huge transition into second tier consciousness. Yeah. Uh, 
Go on, you finish. Uh, so, so ultimately, it's this particular paradigm, this emergent paradigm, is about changing ourselves, not the outer world. And the ultimate result of living according to the, this uh, emerging paradigm is going to be outer chaos. And it's that outer chaos which will create the evolutionary tension to drive the big leap into second tier and bring the emergence of the seventh layer, this uh, integrated uh, second tier multidimensional way of being human. So it's, it's really important to understand that. And when you, when you think about the emergent paradigm in that context, you can look at what's going on in the world. You can see those dynamics. You can see there's a lot of noise being made. Mm. There, there really aren't any um, practical projects which are solving the problems right now. That's just yeah, not going not enough on. Often, and that's, and, and sure. that's not, it's not the role of this particular value mm. set, this particular worldview, which is going to be very, very shortly. Mm. Yes, yeah, so, uh, there's lots of keys there, and I'm just quoting uh, along with what you're saying there from David Smart's website, thinkingwithdavid.com, I quoted from before. He talks about the transformational dilemma of, of uh, this green layer, this layer that we are now um, emerging into, particularly in regions like this, is that it is often overly idealistic. It aims at peaceful coexistence, but is often driven by fear and anger. Caring and sharing doesn't solve the world's problems. It's a tough one to hear. Uh, it struggles to carry out tangible, practical, real-world solution, uh, solutions, which leads us to the biggest shift in worldviews thus far, which is what Steve's talking about. So it's setting that template. It's setting that foundation mainly by that, as you said, that turn inward to how can I change myself? How can I better heal myself? How can I actually be part of the community and, and do, my, do my part? And so that's a healthy and good thing to, to have as we, we haven't obviously had much self-reflection in the last few hundred years if you will, if you took it as a big generalization, then that's certainly changing now. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I, I might just quickly read from Claire Graves' notes uh, mm. on this particular emerging paradigm, uh, where he says that it objects strongly to authority's lead or pressure and professes, professes revulsion against uniformity and homogenization, mm. follows the crowds or the peers' lead or pressure since emphasis is placed upon getting along, accepting the authority of the group or the majority and seeking status from others. I think about Facebook. Yeah, thinking yes, shows yes, yes. thinking shows an almost radical, almost compulsive emphasis on seeing everything from a relativistic, subjective frame. Mm. Subjective is a really important word mm. there because it, when you look at what's going on and all of the noise that's being made around the world, it's extremely subjective. It, mm. It's extremely about I feel this mm. way. You know? It's emotional, and that, it's not a judgment to say that this is part of the the process that we need to go through. It, it to, is to it's, feel it's, this. It's, it's a yeah. it's an absolutely constructive process yep. that's taking us somewhere, and it's a necessary yes. step. Yeah. Uh, but that that subjective frame is is very very prominent, and it's it's very much about I'm feeling this way, and you should feel this way too. You hear that kind of language. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Are you seeing, with us or against yeah, us? Back to Graves, seeing everything from a relativistic subjective frame of reference, as it revolts against notions of quantity, and is rigidly against rigidity, <laughs> and <laughs> judgmental about judgmentalism. Rigidly against rigidity, and judgmental about judgmentalism and again you can if you look you can see that it thinks in terms of goals which relate to all humankind rather than just to self and of course this is yeah. one of the, the the critical aspects what it is doing is it's changing us to to look at the larger picture and think about all of humankind mm. instead, instead yeah. of ourselves as we have been doing in the previous paradigm mm. yeah. uh, and uh this other directed individual, this is from Graves again, believes it will find salvation in belonging and in participating with others in what they want me to do or, or the person to do. 
and, and uh, so it's. I think it's really important to to make sense of what's going on in the world at the moment is to understand that this emergent paradigm, this this revolution, if you like, that we're seeing globally at the moment, is a stepping stone. It's not the f- the final. Uh, solution that's going to you know resolve all of these compounding challenges that we're facing globally but what it's doing is it's laying a platform a foundation for us to make an enormous leap in our capacity in order to be able to tackle these large challenges I think as uh, someone who's a bit older than a lot of people these days I find myself quite an, quite an elderly person compared to many that I'm involved with but as such what I've come to personally my own subjective wisdom around this is you know I, I to some degree or other I haven't seen the the forest for the trees in my long time being sort of relatively alternative and socially and environmentally conscious and uh, politically progressive or um, imagining myself in those ways one way or the other but what I haven't seen is the long is the long game I've I've seen it through my own my own purview my own subjective situation is one life over 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 60 something years now um, but now I've, I've drawn back to a much bigger picture and, and understood that the changes that, occur, uh, that are occurring, that must occur and that will occur on this planet, and they are occurring faster than most of us imagine or think about, are still probably going to be uh, not, uh, not fully fledged, not fully uh, um, uh, expressed on this planet until after I'm gone. And that's actually okay. But finally, I can see it that way. I can see the long, the long story, and not be so impatient about change. It's yes, it's okay to be impatient because that's an emotional reaction that maybe stimulates you, maybe gets you together with a bunch of people to, to at least bring out these feelings and to discover yourself and to start to move. Yeah. So what we might do now is we might uh, just wrap that bit, and we'll come back, and in the, in the final part of the show, we'll talk about what we can do globally to fit in with the emerging themes of this new paradigm, and to help lay that solid foundation for the big changes that are coming not too far away. Yeah, on BFM, it's ten sixteen here on Future Sense. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on BFM in Byron Bay, Australia, at bfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.